turn around. The last time I wore this, it, um, it fell off. Just fell right off. I don't know what happened. It was weird. Like the whole thing fell off. I don't know. It was weird. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Advent. Um, bless this time, and may I not speak anything that isn't from you, and if I do, uh, I pray that it would be swiftly forgotten. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so today is the third Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to look at No? Can you? Yeah? Ah, all right. Great. Hi, guys. This is why it fell off, because I didn't clip it on right. All right. So, third Sunday of Advent. Um, third song of Advent. Rod, so far, has talked about Psalm 23 and Mary's song in Luke 1. Um, and so we're going to stay in Luke 1 today, and we're going to talk about Zechariah's song. Um, so, Luke 1, verse 67, and um, I'm not going to, I'm just going to read it, because if I sang it. All right. All right, so, Luke 1, verse 67, Zechariah's song. His father... Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So to start off, um, I want to draw your attention to the echoes of what Rod has already talked about. Verse, six, verse 78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So this was the master plan from the beginning. Rod talked two weeks ago about the good shepherd who walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death, the God who cares for us, sometimes in painful ways. He talked about the shepherd having to break the legs of the sheep um, because we're dumb like sheep, 
and we do dumb things. We live under the constant shadow of death, and the distant God has drawn near, drawn close to deliver us from the fear, from the shadow, and from death because of sin. He talked about, Rod talked about, how Advent is um, it's not about the birth of Jesus, but a reminder that he is coming again. And then last week, Rod talked about Mary's song. And we can see some similar th- themes in Zechariah's song. Themes about fearing God and uh, the deliverance of Israel. Rod talked about how Mary had every right to be afraid of being stoned uh, for being pregnant and to be mad at God because of what he had done. But instead, she called herself blessed. And Rod invited us to walk heel-toe in the dinner line. Did you guys walk heel-toe? I don't know. I wasn't here last week. I listened to the sermon online. But he invited us to walk heel-toe in the dinner line and to thank God at every step for something. Um, But there's something unique in Zechariah's song that we can't fully appreciate until we understand Zechariah's story. Because I think there are ways... We all wish we could be merry and, and just respond and say, I am blessed. But I think more often we respond... Some more similarly to Zechariah. Uh, so, we're going to go back in Luke to verse 5. We're going to learn more about Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So, Zechariah is a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, is also a descendant of Aaron. So, Aaron. We've got, we got to get a little history here. We've got to go back, way back. The second book of the Bible, which is called Zech- uh, Exodus, <laughs> which is called Zechariah. It's not called Zechariah. It's called Exodus. So, in Exodus, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and there's this guy named Moses, and God calls Moses, and he says, Moses, you're going to go to the king of Egypt, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to say, let my people go. But Moses was afraid because he had a stutter or something. He had a, a, he said he was slow of speech. So God sent Moses' brother Aaron with him, so Aaron's actually the one who goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. So then Pharaoh lets the people go. They go out into the desert, and uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and he gets the law, and Aaron, his brother, is made the high priest. And the Lord decrees that Aaron's brother, Aaron's brother, Aaron's family, man, I'm having trouble. Where did my water go? Sure. What's mine is yours. Thanks, Lane. 
Thumbs up. It's a good day. So, Aaron uh, is the high priest, and Aaron's family, we're going to be the high priests. And so after Aaron, uh, you go all the way through the history of Israel. It's basically the whole Old Testament. It's like all of that, most of the Bible. And you get uh, King David and all the kings. You get uh, the judges and the exile in Babylon, and then returning and rebuilding the temple. It's this whole, it's hundreds and hundreds of years. And Aaron's family, all the way down to the time of Jesus, serve in the temple. And so you get, there's, there's a lot more in there. It's a long, long book. You can read it if you want. But I want you to understand the scope of the long years between Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first high priest of Israel, all the way down to Zechariah, who was a priest who served in the temple in the time of Jesus, right before Jesus. Because Zechariah and his wife were both descendants of Aaron. In the time of Jesus, they would have been kind of like royalty. Not royalty, but like they're, they're part of a, a, an elevated class. They're the people who go between the the, the normal people and, and God. They offer all the sacrifices. They would have been well-known, basically. So, let's move on. Verse 6. Both of them were upright in the sight of God and observing all the Lord's commands, commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. So the second thing to note about Zechariah is that he and his wife were both upright and blameless. They did everything the right way. They did every they followed the law, they made all the right sacrifices, and they ate all the right things. They were upright and blameless. And the third thing to note is that they were childless. Now, of course, there's no way for us to know why they couldn't have kids other than that Elizabeth was barren. It might have been any number of reasons, including, of course, we know now that, you know, it could have been something with Zechariah. We just don't know. But this is, this is important to note because there are cultural implications for Elizabeth not being able to have kids. There's an idea that it meant that she was somehow in sin. It wasn't just being barren either. Any kind of physical ailment would have been an indicator of sin. And people probably said things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Like, yeah, they're upright and blameless, but dot, dot, dot. You know, there must be something wrong with them. They must not have the right heart for God. There must be something we don't know about them. There must be some reason God hasn't blessed them with children. I'm not saying this is what was true about them, but these are the whispers they probably heard. Uh, there was a lot of shame and lies offered to them about this problem of not having kids, not being able to have kids. Today, it's not hard for us to realize what this would have been like, right? We don't have the same cultural stigma around 
connecting not having kids and sin. But we don't have to go far to connect with the shame and the lies. We struggle to find our value and our identity in Christ and who God says we are. And I'm sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth struggled also. So I want to talk for a minute about names. My name is Mark Allen Crawford. My dad, who's here, his name is Guy Allen Crawford. And that's always been uh, really important to me. I have the same name as my dad. My name's not Guy, but... (laughs) But I am Allen Crawford. And yesterday, my nephew was born. My sister had her baby. And they named their son. My, my sister's name is Jane, and her husband's name is Vidal. And they named their son Vidal Alan Ramirez. It's probably more appropriate to say Vidal Alan Ramirez. <laughs> but Vidal after his father, and Alan after my dad. I, I'm pretty sure it's after my dad, but I'm always going to tell him it's after me. <laughs> but this is, it's really important to me. It's always been important to me. And it, naming held a huge significance in Zechariah's time. For your son to carry on your name would have been the highest honor. And Zechariah's line was ending with him. The line of priests that had gone from Aaron all the way through the Old Testament, through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, was going to end with Zechariah. The name was being cut off. Zechariah would have longed to pass on his name and his role as a priest to his son. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. That's what the name means. The Lord remembers. And I bet there were times when Zechariah doubted that. There were times when he questioned whether God ever thought of him. Zechariah was an old man. I don't know about old, but he's beyond the age of having kids. He's probably been praying for a son since before he got married. He's probably been praying for a son for 40 years by the time the story catches up with him. And I am not 40. And I have not prayed for anything for 40 years. But I don't know what that's like. But I can tell you that Zechariah, having prayed for something for that long and not have it fulfilled, Zechariah would have been bitterly disappointed. And maybe he talked to God about it. Maybe it was something he pushed out of his mind, but it was there. God doesn't remember me. The Lord doesn't remember. And there's other pain in all of this. The pain of loss. Zechariah watched his wife go through the cultural shame of being unable to conceive a child. He heard the whispers of people wondering if he should have married someone else. He probably walked with his wife through miscarriages and the pain of losing an unborn child. 
we haven't we haven't really announced this, but Lane Lane is pregnant, which is great. And we're really sorry if you didn't know that already, but um, and I I'm I'm super excited. But this summer, early in the summer, we walked through a miscarriage, and I had to watch my wife be carted away in the hospital to be taken care of. And the fear that that brought was heavy. Corey sat with me in the waiting room. And we sat together for long, not Corey and I, Lane and I sat together for long hours. Um, there's in, in tears and mourning and many days and weeks. I thank God that we had a community around us to love us and care for us and that there isn't the same cultural stigma that we're fighting against that shame of the loss. But the pain, that pain was there for Zechariah. And he heard it. They are upright and blameless, but dot, dot, dot. So, verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So, Zechariah was chosen to go into the temple and burn incense, something he would have done alone. And he had to be ceremonially clean. It was a high honor to be chosen. And it was a holy place. It was a place where the Spirit of the Lord met his people. So he's chosen and he goes in alone. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. And was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So again, just like last week, angels are terrifying. We got we have all these pictures but we've got it all wrong guys. Like every time so, an angel shows up it's terrifying and the angel has to say do not be afraid. We're going to talk more about that next week I think. I just wanted to note. It, every time I read something like that it's 
do not be afraid. First thing they say. So there are two big moments in Zechariah's life. And this one, the first one, is very bittersweet. This is not the way it should have been. This is not the way it was supposed to be. In Zechariah's mind, he should have had a son when he was a young man. He should have been named Zach Jr. (laughs) Right? He shouldn't have had to endure the years of shame and lies about having a barren wife. Things should have been different. This is not the way it should have been. Don't we react? We react like this all the time. We ask God why again and again. And I know Rod, Rod talked about this already, but I think it's important to note again, God doesn't answer the why question. You know, the angel doesn't show up and say, hey, Zechariah, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, hey, I should have come. You know, I'm sorry. We could, you know, we had to wait for Mary. It doesn't happen. The the angel just says, this is the way it's going to be. And this is, it's all, the the angel, it's all very miraculous. Like, but it's, it's not hard to bring it to the mundane things of life. It's not hard to see ourselves in Zechariah's reaction. There's a subtle difference or not so subtle, I'm not sure. You tell me. There's a subtle difference between the way Mary reacts and the way Zechariah reacts, the questions that they ask the angel. Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think her question is valid. It's not a question of doubt or disbelief, but it's, it's a question of, of please explain. How's this going to work? You know, she wants to know. She wants more information. Zechariah asks, how can I be sure of this? He feels the years of prayer and loss. In the back of his mind, he's thinking, this isn't how it should have been. He responds out of shame and fear, out of a lie that God can't be trusted. How can I be sure of this? And look at, look at what he's missing out on. Like, I really think he stops listening to the angel after the angel says that his son's name is going to be John. <laughs> Everything the angel says after that is incredible. It's amazing. Like, the part where the angel talks about Elijah... That's a prophecy that everyone in Israel would have known. It's, a, it's this prophecy that says that the Old Testament prophet Elijah was going to return to announce the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. John means the Lord is gracious. And this is the life that John would lead, a life announcing the coming of the grace of God. He called people to return to God. He announced that the distant God was coming near to shine on those living in darkness under the shadow of death. 
Zechariah's son, in case you didn't know, is John the Baptist. Um, the one who baptized people, baptized Jesus. He came before Jesus. But Zechariah, so caught up in his own anger and injustice, that he couldn't hear the angel. He doesn't trust God in that moment. He knows from the moment he hears the name John that he doesn't get to have Zach Jr. His name and the family honor of being a priest won't be passed on to his son because it's a different name, a different line, a different purpose. And Zechariah doesn't get what he longed for. He doesn't get what he desired. At least in his mind, he doesn't get exactly what he wanted. Verse 19. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I want, I want to pause for a minute in the story of Zechariah because it's Zechariah's song, so we're talking about him. But I want to note this moment and recognize Elizabeth. Because here's a woman who's upright in the sight of God, and her culture condemned her. But God blessed her. Now, if it had not happened this way, if she had continued on not having children, she still would have been upright in the sight of God. But there's a moment of redemption here for Elizabeth where God takes away her disgrace. He takes away that cultural shame for her. I think that's, you know, that moment's really, I want to note that outside of Zechariah's story because it's a beautiful moment. Zechariah, on the other hand, gets the longest time out for a temper tantrum in history. This time, this is the time, he's, he's silent. He has to be silent for, I mean, it had to have been at least nine months, ten months, probably a year, I don't know. This is the time when he's forced to think about what the angel said. He, he doesn't have anything else to do. He can't talk, can't talk to anybody. He has to think about what the angel said. His response in the moment came from hearing lies. And the next biggest moment in his life, moment number two, 
came with him at a very different place. We'll read that. So we're in verse 57 now. We've skipped over Mary's song that we talked about last week. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It's a really cool moment. The moment he's able to speak, the moment Zechariah's mouth is opened, is the moment that he receives what God said. What God said was true. What God said was going to be. That's the moment he can talk. The moment he names his son John, his tongue is loosed and begins to sing praises. And all the people are confused and in awe. We sit in the lies we tell ourselves. Lies that others have told us. Lies that the enemy shouts in our ears. We get angry at God because it's easier than trying to figure out the truth. We get angry at God because God won't answer the why questions. We have set our hopes on idols whose foundations cannot hold us And then we get angry at God when things don't work out. I have so many hopes and dreams that have not worked out. I sat in the waiting room at St. Joe's after Lane had her miscarriage, and I was so afraid. Early this summer... We found out Lane was pregnant the first time. Um, Lane found this app that tracks your pregnancy, and the first little update it gave, I think it was the first one, pretty sure, I don't know, um, said that the baby was the size of a poppy seed. The poppy seed is like the little black seeds that get stuck in your teeth when you eat an everything bagel. really small and we started to call the baby the poppy seed and um, so as, as as we walked through all of that it was it was hard because we had it wasn't just this baby it wasn't just 
the miscarriage, like we had named the baby, the poppy seed. And um, if you, I don't know where we're hanging up the puzzle pieces. I don't think we have yet. But um, one of them has um, a black ball that was drawn on it. And around it are poppies, the flowers, the red flowers. And I drew the little black ball because that's easy. And Lane drew these beautiful poppies growing around it. And that's our piece. That's our puzzle piece. Um, and I, I sat with my pilgrim group. And Chris said, you're going to see your child again. You see him. You get to see the poppy seed at some point. In the new earth. But for now, I don't get what I wanted. I don't get that child. I don't get to hold the poppy seed. This has been a hard year in our community. And I want to I want to return to Rod's directive from last week. The directive to walk heel toe and to give thanks at each step. Thanks for something specific. And if you have time, go back and listen to Rod's sermon because it's really good. But this week, we can do it in the dinner line. You guys can tell yourself, tell each other what you're thankful for. But this week, maybe in the morning, you get up from bed and you're walking to the bathroom and walk heel-toe to the bathroom. And every step, begin your morning giving thanks to God. We sit in the lies we hear and the demands we have on God, and we miss the distant God who is drawn close to us. And I believe, after this hard year, that God is calling us as a community to give thanks. So I'm going to close reading Zechariah's song again as a prayer. Um, A prayer of someone who is, yes, it's a prophecy, yes, it's a song, but it's a prayer of thanks. Let's pray. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, 
because of the tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.